Good morning. I must say what a joy it is to be with you all this Sunday. My name is Chris Reed, if we have not met. I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. And today we continue our series through the book of 1 Peter, uh, looking at our scripture, um, elect exiles living as Christians in a non-Christian society. But today we dive into the topic of suffering for Christ, suffering as a Christian. Before we look at this passage, will you please pray with me once again? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship you this Sunday. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that you would speak through me, speak to me, and each of us, I ask that you would comfort our hearts and draw us into further communion with you. We love you, Jesus. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as Marshall shared, this past week I had the uh, privilege of attending RUF assessment in Westminster, Colorado. It was a great experience, though on the morning of day one, each of us were called to share our, our testimony, our stories of God's faithfulness in our lives. I shared about how God graciously pursued me and I became a follower of his my senior year of high school. I spoke about my sense of call to gospel ministry as well as how I came on here as an intern at Grace. And all of the assessors were interested in how I got to Grace, and so I had to keep it real. It was in large part due to the fact that Marshall invited me to share a meal at one of my favorite restaurants, the grand, illustrious, luxurious Chipotle. <laughs> we hit it off from there. I'm a Chipotle fan, and I'm convinced that it is, it is one fascinating restaurant. I love Chipotle, not for the burritos with steak, but but for the simple fact that you get to pick and choose which items you would like to have a part of your meal as well as the items you desire to be without. How you get to decide the ingredients you'd like to partake of in addition to the ones you'd rather leave out. And I share this story because many Christians, including myself, desire to live just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. However, there is one aspect to the life of Jesus that if we could leave out, we would. One crucial part of Jesus that we would not choose but would avoid if we had the choice, and that is suffering for righteousness. To imitate Jesus in the way he suffered for doing God's will. To live into 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Many of us in the sanctuary desire to live like Jesus in every way except the way he suffered. Suffering is, is one of the sad results of living in this fallen world, whether it be sickness, a job loss, the death of a loved one, breakups, anxiety, depression, and de disappointment. Though we Christians battle a particular form of suffering, as our society increases in its hostility towards the Christian faith, suffering for righteousness becomes more of a reality. The middle school or high school student suffers mockery and social ostracism for their holding fast to Christian values. Parents and grandparents suffer from worry about what their children might face in a culture that does not esteem their love for Christ. Employees suffer the loss of status and respect, receiving shame for their adherence to the Christian faith. Church leaders suffer from the pressure of ministering in this sinful world. I love Jesus, but why should I embrace suffering for my love for Jesus? Surely, 
The original recipients of Peter's letter wrestled with this question here. These, these first century Christians are facing intense pressure of being exiles in a non-Christian society. They're, they're ostracized, despised, and persecuted for their allegiance to Jesus and are, confu- are confused of what to make of it all. But Peter writes to reassure them that while they may be rejected by the world, they've been elected by the Father. These Christians are chosen and loved by God. They've got a living hope, are headed on to glory, and are to stand fast in God's grace despite the suffering they may face. But today, Peter takes it to a whole nother level, giving us insight into Christian suffering. There is purpose in Christian suffering because of the one who suffered for us. Why should you and I embrace the suffering that may come as a result of our faith? Well, Peter tells us in this text, we should rejoice in suffering for Christ because it is a sign that we belong to Christ. In our passage today, Peter pushes us towards a new redemptive view of Christian suffering. And he begins by telling us, suffering for Christ should not surprise us, but should remind us of our union with Christ. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something something strange were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter is writing to a community of Gentile believers who had converted to Christianity. And prior to their conversion, the the Christians were perfectly at home in their city. They fit in and were well appreciated in the surrounding area. They had no previous experience of being a cultural minority. But since they've committed their lives to Jesus, they've been persecuted in the society. They've received isolation and hostility from their non-Christian neighbors. Peter calls it a fiery trial. This is intense suffering. It's hot. The culture has turned up the heat on these believers. And as a result, they're questioning, did did something go wrong? As God left us, is there something wrong with us? But Peter responds, no, beloved, you are God's dear ones, beloved ones, prized ones, valued ones. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. First, God is actually working this out for his good purposes. This trial is indeed to test you, verse 12 says. And the word test does not refer to temptation, but an attempt to learn the character and nature of something. And by Christians going through the fiery trial of Christian suffering, it proves that the nature of our faith is genuine. Like gold that is refined by fire, God is using the suffering to refine our faith, to perfect our faith. As the Christian scientist Mildred Struven said, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of the furnace to become porcelain. Second, we are not to be surprised, astonished, shocked, startled when suffering comes upon us. Because when holiness and righteousness meet a sinful culture, it always creates tension. When love for God meets a love for the pleasures of this world, it creates hostility. When your commitment to purity infiltrates a society of impurity, there will be pushback. When you profess there is one God and one truth in a world that claims there are many gods and truths, it's offensive to the world. The cross is offensive. 
Saying Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord is contentious. When you've given your life to Christ and no longer participate with your friends in the sins and way of life, they, they are also surprised. Remember, Peter told us a couple weeks ago, for the time that is past suffices for doing what non-believers want to do, leaving in, living in sensuality, uh, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial because God's people have always been opposed by the prince of darkness. But third, do not be surprised when you suffer for being a Christian because this is exactly what Jesus told us would happen. John 15, remember, he predicted, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So why shouldn't we be surprised when society is hostile towards the Christian faith? Peter says the suffering you're receiving is not strange or unheard of since it is right in line with what Jesus predicted. Nevertheless, Peter explains that while we should not be surprised by our suffering, we have good reason to rejoice in our suffering. We ought to rejoice because of our participation with the one who suffered for us. Peter says that first we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 13, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Friends, Peter explains that suffering may feel strange, but be encouraged because you're living the life of Jesus. You share in what Jesus experienced. To share means to take part, koinonia, to have fellowship, a special bond. Paul says in Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Your suffering for Christ is a sign that you've identified with Christ and been united to Christ. And as a Christian who suffers because of your identification with Christ, you enter into the experience of Christ's own sufferings. Peter says, it is worthy of rejoicing because those are the sufferings Jesus went through. You suffer in the same way the Lord Jesus suffered. A Jesus who suffered rejection from the same people he came to save. A Jesus who tried to bring kids home who did not want to be brought home. A Jesus who was labeled a glutton and a drunkard for spending time with tax collectors and sinners. A Jesus who was outcasted for standing up for the poor, marginalized, and children. A Jesus who was opposed for saying, you can pay your taxes to Caesar, but give your life to God. A Jesus who was called a blasphemer for forgiving a crippled man of his sins and healing his body. A, a Jesus who was committed to the glory of God, pursuing the lost, extending compassion and holiness, though was still betrayed by one of his twelve, mocked, beaten, and nailed to a tree. My friends, when, when you suffer for being a Christian, you follow in the footsteps of Jesus. You've been awarded the privilege to share to identify with the sufferings of Christ. What seems awful and unjust can be turned to joy when you remember that Jesus endured the exact same. As Joni Erickson put it, God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. And by God giving over his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, what did he achieve? Right relationship with you and I, reconciling us back to himself. He achieved eternal life for us. 
Peter says we ought to rejoice in our participation in the sufferings of Christ. Though we can also rejoice because of our participation in the glory of Christ. The second half of verse 13 reads that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says that for those who now share in Christ's sufferings, we will also share in his glory when he returns. We can have a Christ-like perspective on suffering when we understand that one day that suffering will turn into exaltation. For the same Jesus who died and was buried got up from the grave, defeating that grave. Christ's suffering is redemptive suffering. For the sufferings we're to embrace are the pains of a mother in childbirth, a mother who feels the pain of delivering her baby but knows the glory on the other side when she embraces that baby far outweighs her present pain. And in a higher and holier way, the sufferings we experience for our faith are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed when Christ returns. We may hurt now, but we will rejoice and be glad when we see Jesus, when we see his face and are embraced by him, wrapped in his loving arms. Surely, the glory of Jesus when he returns to rescue us will transcend any of the present pain we feel. C.S. Lewis penned, they say of temporal suffering that no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that into glory. Peter calls us to rejoice in suffering for Christ, so we may also rejoice in the glorious return of Christ. However, Peter explains there are two types of Christians in the church who suffer for Christ. Therefore, he urges us that if we're going to suffer, we ought to be those who suffer for righteousness and not wickedness. As my sister would say, righteousness over ratchetness. Verses 14 through 16 read, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Sadly, suffering is a reality for all humans. Because of our fallen world, all humans have suffered or will suffer in some way. And as much as we try to avoid it, no person is exempt from the trials and tribulations of life. Thus, the question is not whether or not we're going to suffer, but the question is whether we're going to suffer for our faith or for sin. Peter says, if you, if you suffer for the name of Christ, for following Jesus, it is a good thing. The phrase name of Christ refers to association with Christ by lifestyle or confession of faith. If you receive insults, mockery, rejection, or isolation for your association with Jesus, you are blessed. You are God's favored ones, fortunate ones, happy ones, the Greek tells us. And this was a huge deal because in the first century, it was an honor-shame culture. So these Christians had been outcasted. Their, their social standing in the city was damaged for following Jesus. But Peter says, that is not your true state. No, you are blessed by God. Your persecution is a sign of your blessedness. For our Lord Jesus taught us in his sermon on the mount, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why are you blessed? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Your suffering 
is a sign that the reputation of God is seen in you. The presence of Jesus is upon you. When you receive insults and hostility for your Christian faith, it's because people can see Jesus in you. He shines through you. You've been marked by the Lord. You've got the name of Christ. And when you suffer for that name, you are blessed by God. However, Peter gives us a warning. He says, if you suffer for following Christ, you're blessed. But let none of you suffer as an evildoer because you are, you are not blessed. Do not suffer as a murderer or a thief, an evildoer, or one who meddles in everybody else's business. That is not good. Because not only does that go against what God has called you to, but if you suffer for wickedness, then you kind of deserve it. Peter told us in chapter 2, for what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? And I'm going to tread lightly, but I will say this. Across the globe, you and I have brothers and sisters in the faith right now experiencing real deal persecution for their commitment to Jesus. And some of you may know these people, our mission partners, things like that. And while our culture is increasing in its hostility towards Christianity, there are a number of Christians in America today who are crying out persecution, though it is not for their following Jesus. No, some Christians are actually rude, mean, unloving, and wonder why they're hated. It's because I'm being persecuted. No, it's because you're not living like Christ. Peter says, do not engage in society as that person. Do not suffer as an evil doer. However, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him or her not be ashamed, but glorify God in that name. To glorify God is to wear the name of Jesus proudly. When people don't want to relate with you or be with you for your Christian values, do not be ashamed, but praise the Lord. You're a child of God. You're God's elect. You're known and loved and seen by the creator of the universe. He knows your name. So live to extol and magnify his name. And we don't glorify God for our suffering, but in our suffering. Peter tells us to never be ashamed of being a Christian, but rather to hold our heads high, glorifying God. And is, isn't it ironic that of all the apostles who could have written to Christians not to be ashamed of the name of Christ, it's Peter. What's Peter known for on the night of Jesus' arrest? Go there with me. It's a it's a dark night. Jesus has just finished praying earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane and heard the chief priests and servants coming to arrest him. After being betrayed and seized, each of the disciples flee from Jesus, though Peter follows at a distance. Warming his hands over a charcoal fire, Peter is recognized by a high school servant girl who declares, This man was also with Jesus. I do not know him, Peter says. Another person comes up to him. You, you are also are one of his disciples, aren't you? I am not. An hour later, a third person comes up. Certainly this man was with Jesus, for he too was a Galilean. But three times before the rooster crows, Peter denies Jesus. Ashamed to be associated with Christ. Ashamed of being known as a Christian. But what happens between Peter's denial and this very letter? Well, John 21 tells, of us, tells of us of Peter's restoration. Jesus loves Peter so much, not only does he forgive Peter, but he restores Peter. 
ordaining him as a leader in the early church. Out of the mercy of Jesus, Peter is brought back into fellowship with Jesus. And now Peter is on the other side of his restoration, telling you and I, we do not have to be ashamed of our glorious Lord. The one who loves you and came from heaven to earth to go to the cross for you. You serve a Jesus who is both great and he's gracious. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's full of mercy, majesty, goodness, and satisfaction. You may struggle to be a witness for Christ in your school, your workplace, your friend group, even your own family. But Peter is a witness that God can give you the grace to overcome your fears. Only love can put a woman in a place where she is willing to suffer in delivering a baby. Thus, only love will enable you and I to suffer for Christ. But the good news is, it won't be our ability to love Christ, but his love for you and me. Peter says, if you're, if you're going to suffer, let it be for your commitment to Jesus. Hebrews 11 reads, Moses considered even the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. We who suffer for righteousness are truly blessed in God. But why do we have to suffer? Well, Peter tells us about the occasion of suffering for Christians. He explains in verse 17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, at the church. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Friends, as Marshall uh, preached last Sunday, we're in the last days. God's judgment is nearby. All people will stand before him and give a, an account of their life. And Peter explains that God's judgment has begun with Christians, the household of God. This suffering is to purify the church, to cleanse the church of sin and impurity, preparing us for his final day of salvation. And this shouldn't frighten us because as when Christ returns, when God judges the world, those who have placed their faith in him will be saved and the righteous, the unrighteous will be condemned. But if Christians suffer now and we've obeyed the gospel, how much worse for neighbors, friends, and spouses who do not obey the gospel? If we think suffering is bad, what about those who reject God? They're going to experience eternal suffering. And Peter backs up his argument by Quoting Proverbs 11.31, And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Church, those who have failed to obey the gospel will be excluded from the fellowship with God for eternity. And, and if we don't persevere in Christ now, that will not be good. So the question becomes, well then how? How should we live in the meantime? What should be our response to the fact that we are in the last days and Christ and Christian suffering is upon us? Well, Peter finishes by calling us in the midst of suffering to give ourselves over to a good God while we do good. Verse 19, Peter exhorts, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's desire is that in our time here on earth, we continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will are Christians who suffer for the faith and whose lives God is working out his plan. We are to trust God by continuing to do the good God has called us to. This includes everything Peter has um, taught us in this series, obeying those in authority over us, 
following Jesus' commands, loving our neighbors, and ultimately loving God. But while we do good, we are to keep the faith in the midst of suffering by giving ourselves over to God for safekeeping. Peter says, let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And trust means to hand over something of value to the care of another, to to trust someone with the care or protection of another. This word is in the present tense, meaning it's a continual action, a day after day action of entrusting of oneself. And who are we to entrust ourselves to? Well, we only entrust things we care about to people who are faithful, loyal, and trustworthy. We only entrust our littles to be babysat by those who are faithful. When we go out of town, we only entrust our pets, our houses, our cars, the church, to someone who is faithful. And Peter says that in the midst of suffering, in a world that is confusing, troubling, and exhausting, entrust your lives to the God who will be faithful to carry you through. Entrust your lives to the God who keeps his promises and will be faithful to save you. Isaiah 43, he says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. To my students, friends, entrust your upcoming school year to God. Place your trust in him to guard you, to guide you, to provide for you, because he sticks close to you. Parents, and entrust your children to God. I know this world outside can be scary, and you may not always have your eye on them. They might not always be under your roof. But give them over to the God who never sleeps nor slumbers. Give them over to the God who will never leave them nor forsake them. After all, he is their creator. He made them put the hairs on their head, the taste buds on their tongues. He had a plan and purpose for them before they were in their mom's womb. They are precious in his sight. And since God created your kids, surely he can take care of your kids. Employees, entrust your careers to God. Make the decision to love God, to not be ashamed of his name, but trust that God has you. He is a faithful creator. This is the God in whom you and I are to rest. Noah was mocked for building the ark, but God was faithful to save him from the flood. Moses chose to be mistreated with the Hebrews instead of enjoying the pleasures of Egypt, but God remained faithful to him. Rahab wasn't even an Israelite, but God was faithful to protect her. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den for his faith, but God was faithful to deliver him. But even greater than all of them was another one who suffered, one who entrusted himself to God from beginning to the end. Chapter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. One who cried out with a loud voice on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands, God, I trust my life to you. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be Christians who follow in the footsteps of Jesus saying, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust myself to you. I entrust my family to you. I believe that you will save me on the last day. You are a good father and a faithful creator. May we not grow weary in doing good, but continue to entrust ourselves to God while doing good. And as I close, uh, this morning Peter teaches us there is purpose in our suffering because of Jesus Christ who suffered for us. We are 
loved by God, united to Christ, and will be saved by our faithful God. So why should we embrace the suffering that may come as a result of our faith? Simply, we should rejoice in suffering for Christ because it is a, it is a sign that we belong to Christ, that we are united to Christ and share in his sufferings. For Oswald Chambers wrote, to choose to suffer means there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is very different. No healthy Christian ever chooses suffering. No, they choose God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Amen? Dear God, I thank you for blessing us um, with your word this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you suffered for each and every single one of us to bring us back to God. I ask that we would embrace uh, any opposition that may come our way, even if it feels strange or it does not feel good. Jesus, we know that you endured the exact same. Give us the faith, the courage to trust you, to entrust ourselves to you each and every single day. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.